0: Hey friends, it's Mark James and today is Wednesday the 8th of February. Now, when you hear this, it will no longer be Wednesday the 8th of February because I haven't had any signal for about 12 hours. I'm on a ship in the middle of the ocean, the North Atlantic Ocean, I think. Yeah, North Atlantic Ocean. And um, I don't have any signal, so I can't post this straight away. So I'm going to post this in the morning when we dock in Funchal, Madeira right now as i record i'm sitting on the cabin floor in between the two beds i've got a great cabin i'm very pleased with it and uh, i'm sitting i'm sitting on the ground with my feet extended underneath the opposite bed to the one that i'm sleeping in there are actually three beds in my cabin there are two um single beds and then above one of the single beds is a pull-down bunk i've had a room like this before when sarah and joshua came with me on a cruise before to barbados not on this ship it was on a different ship but it was the same company and the um (laughs) the <laughs> we had the same bed situation Joshua obviously slept in the bunk Sarah and I slept in the two singles And it was good times So I was pleased to have a similar cabin to that again this time Last time I was on the ship I was up on a higher deck And the sea is a little bit wavy tonight So I'm glad I'm not on a higher deck Because you know the rules The more you pay, the more you sway That's what they say The more money you pay to get higher up the ship The more you sway backwards and forwards When the ship rocks for obvious reasons, there is sort of a sweet spot to be on the ship so that the swaying is minimised, it's probably deck 4 or 5, I'm on deck 4, I have a huge uh, porthole window, it's probably the size, I mean it's squarish, but it's probably the size of a 50 or 60 inch television, it's pretty big, It's it's a huge window. So out of that i can see the ports in the morning i can see the sea when we're sailing during the day i've got some fabulous sights out of the window last time i was on here i had an internal cabin so when you're walking down the corridor obviously there are doors on your left and right and depending on which side of the ship you're on the port or the starboard depending on which one you're on you have either cabins that are facing outwards and have got windows or portholes, as they're, of course, called on here. There's a whole different vocabulary, isn't there, on a ship? Or you turn into a cabin that is on the inside of the ship. And I have to be honest and say, on the rare occasion when that happens, I'm not exactly thrilled. I don't like an inside cabin. I don't like waking up and not knowing if it's day or night. It feels quite claustrophobic at times. It feels a little bit... um, You're just even more disjointed. You know, when you're sailing and you can't remember what country you're supposed to be in or what time zone it is or even what day of the week it is because days of the week become place names or sea days or, you know, various different things. So you're missing key components of of life and ways of anchoring. Oh, God, look how I slipped that in. Ways of anchoring yourself to time and space. So having an inside cabin... It only adds to that in a way that I don't find comfortable. So, I don't love an inside cabin, but as it goes right now, I've got an outside cabin, but I specifically asked for it. My friend on here, who I've known from holiday parks from years ago, is the assistant cruise director. And so, when I had a couple of days left to go before I got on the ship, I just messaged on Facebook to say, hi mate, coming back, look forward to catching up. Can you do me a favor? sorry if you can hear that noise it's me uh, messing about with the thing that pulls the blind down i've stopped now Uh, i said can you do me a favor and just make sure if you can that i get an outside cabin and she said i'll try my best but i can't promise and i got on and true to a word she had sorted me an outside cabin and i am absolutely over the moon because i'm on here for six days last time was only four and honestly i think if i had an inside cabin for that length of time i would go insane Whereas actually, my state of mind, my mental health, is um, quite perky. For all I'm away, I'm not having a terrible time because I've been positive. I've made good decisions so far. I've had plenty of phone signal within countries until today to speak to Sarah, to text and speak to Joshua and just generally stay online, you know, look at Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever and just feel some semblance of normality. One of the huge things for me is listening to James O'Brien's LBC show. Because when I'm at home, I listen to LBC. every. every morning in case you don't know what that is it's a talk radio show lbc is leading britain's conversation that's what the radio station is called and they have all sorts of people on there from the militantly left wing to the militantly right wing james o'brien is probably he certainly leans towards the left but occasionally isn't too left of center and certainly argues both sides of the of the uh, coin So I find it very illuminating and I enjoy listening to that show at home and it challenges my opinions at times but confirms them at others. It's about the right balance for me. I I like it a lot. So I listen to him every morning. When I'm away on a ship or away anywhere being able to listen to that show every day via the podcast, I find very centering. It does make me feel like I'm at home. So every day, whenever I get signal, I will download that day's episode because it's live from 10am until 1pm. But then it goes up as a podcast by about 3.30, 4pm. So I'll listen to it as a podcast uh, every day if I'm away. And I find that that is pretty good for me. So That's about the long and short of the situation right now. I did want to get this episode up during the day today and get back to kind of get back to a bit of format and get back to routine, but I just missed it, missed the opportunity to get it uploaded. I knew once the signal had gone that the pressure was off on time-wise, so I thought I'll just record it at night. So as I sit here on the floor in the cabin, it's actually 5 to 11 p.m., um... And I've had a day out in La Gomera, San Sebastian de La Gomera. I'll come back to that in a bit. But um, I wanted to get back to routine because I've had some messages this week. Shout out, by the way, to everyone who's been listening to this podcast. And double shout out to someone who is not a new listener, but a new uh, messenger. Someone who messaged me for the first time to say that they were a listener to Jason. Jason R. I won't give you full name because, um, you know, I don't want to... your privacy away but um jason r who messaged me this week to say that he listens to the podcast while walking and getting his twelve thousand steps in and listens to another couple of podcasts during the week and mine is one of three that he listens to regularly and um was missed the podcast the couple of weeks i didn't do it while i was in america and was glad that it was back so there you go obviously I've told the whole story of America. I've thought way more stuff about it since it's been over, and I've continued to be inspired by the trip and kind of just inspired to work a lot harder, really. Inspired to consider what I want to put out into the world and just. That thing, did I talk about the thing last week of uh, the Kobe Bryant video? I don't think I did. I saw this video of Kobe Bryant. Shout out, by the way, to uh, LeBron James, who just beat the NBA all-time scoring record previously held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, thought it would never be broken. It was 38,368 points, I think. Now, there is something to say that Kareem did it in in an era when three points weren't a thing however LeBron James has never been a huge three-point scorer and if he didn't score three points you would have to assume that in those places he'd have scored two points so it's not like he's missing a huge amount of points and he's probably still going to play for another two he's 38 or 37 and I think he said that he was going to play until he was able to play with his son Bronny he says he's got a couple of two or three seasons in him yet so I think it would be fair to say that he'd have beat that point scoring record anyway, but also, Kareem played in an era when defense wasn't like it was. You know he never had to play against a load of absolutely brilliant players who were absolutely better and in a different era than Kareem played in. so I think I don't think you can take that away from LeBron James fair play to him for um for breaking that scoring record. but Kobe Bryant frequently referred to as the hardest working, most focused basketball player of all time. And there was a story, I feel like it was Charles Barkley or someone like that, another legend from the Chicago Bulls, was talking about turning up to the gym. So this is where it's relevant to the rest of life and not sports. Sitting on the floor has started to hurt my ass, so I'm gonna get up. Give me one sec. Okay, I'm up off the floor so there's no comfortable place to record this like at home you know when i sit in the yellow chair in the bedroom i don't have that on here i'm sitting on the bed there is a chair but it's more like a it's like a little stool that you can sit on it doesn't have a back i'm not a big fan of a backless chair so anyway i think it was charles barkley was talking about turning up to the court and When he gets there, Kobe Bryant is already out on the floor and he's practicing shooting, dribbles. He's practicing game moves. He's doing side steps and three pointers. He's basically doing everything that he would do in a game, but he's out there practicing. And this player, who I'll refer to as Charles Barkley, even though it might be incorrect, has a practice himself for like an hour. And when he finishes, Kobe is still practicing. The guy goes and gets a shower. He comes back out on the court. Kobe's still there another 40 minutes later. At this point, Kobe's put in like a a two-and-a-half-hour practice. So he goes up to him and he says, what's with the two-and-a-half-hour practice? And of course, basketball is a slightly different vibe to football. Because in football, opposing teammates, opposing team members, sorry, not teammates, They have a real disdain for each other. They don't talk. They're not generally considered as friends. Some are from transfers and stuff, but they don't hang out or anything. They certainly don't celebrate each other's achievements or anything, unless they're playing for the national team. It's quite, the rivalry is different. Whereas in basketball, basketball is kind of, you know, they'll hug, they'll celebrate each other's shots. They'll trash talk. They'll be friendly to each other. They'll hang out off court no matter what team they play for. I've also noticed that there's a real pressure in sports. If you like football, to even say that another team is okay is almost like a cardinal sin. You'll get slammed for that in football. When I say football, for Americans, I'm obviously talking about soccer because we're talking about basketball, which is predominantly an American sport. Whereas in basketball, people will switch, not switch allegiances, but people will follow players. It's not unusual to have someone who followed the Cleveland Cavaliers now identify as a Lakers fan because they love LeBron James and they'll follow LeBron James. You know, maybe if Kevin Durant left the Brooklyn Nets, he would, people would follow that team that he went to. It's kind of weird like that. So you do see this mix of of players talking and talking to each other in a friendly way. And so this player that I'm referring to is Charles Barkley says to him, "What's what's with the long practice? And apparently Kobe says, I saw you come in and I just wanted you to know that no matter how hard you were willing to work, I would work twice as hard. And it made me think to myself, I'm not in... I'm not in competition with anyone like that in a sense that they could see my rehearsal time. The people that I'm in competition with in my industry only see my output. That's probably true for a lot of industries. They only see the shows that I put out, the new material that I release. They only see the results that I get from scores or from you know, comments on my Facebook page or videos that I make. They only see my output. They don't see how hard I work behind the scenes. So there's probably, if you do okay, and I do okay, not great, but okay, there's probably a tendency to believe that I maybe work a lot harder than I do. But actually, I don't think I work that hard. I mean, I write a lot of notes. I occasionally practice and rehearse, but I usually limit that to getting past the technical aspects of a trick. I don't ever put in one to two or three hours, probably a week, let alone a day. And I thought to myself, what if I really did? What if I put in two hours a day minimum? What if I did five hours a day minimum? How much better could I be? How much better would my results be? What would change about it? And I was thinking, I was talking to another friend of mine about this this week because I have a friend and to name him would potentially be unkind. But this friend of mine would probably tell you that nature has not delivered him the greatest assets when it comes to what we what we would understand as book learning. I have always been someone who's fairly good at book learning so I do well in tests I did well at school. I don't struggle that much to learn things or to um, you know have good powers of logic or whatever. I have what you might what might be considered a high IQ. This is not self-praise for no reason, by the way. I don't think that I'm anything special. And I'm about to tell you that this friend of mine does way better than me. But this friend of mine who is not like that, is not especially verbose or doesn't necessarily boast a huge vocabulary, would tell you that they didn't do especially well in tests or flourish at school. However, they are crushing it. When it comes to business, they run five or six different online businesses, websites that sell things, they buy stuff randomly, will tell me that they buy, you know, I bought 400 of these things from China, I'm going to sell them, and then I'll see them five months later, what happened with those 500 things you bought from China, I sold them all, I made 15,000 pounds, and I'm like, that is crazy, when I think about how hard I have to work, how many miles I have to drive, how many shows I have to do, how many people have to watch me and clap and like it and tell other people that they liked it, how many tricks I have to perform to make £15,000. It's just beyond comprehension. This friend of mine makes at least twice what I make and they never go further than an hour away from their house. They don't have to go on ships, they don't go on tour, they just run all these different businesses. And they would tell you that they're not as smart as me, but they probably do work ten times as hard as I do. And I wonder if kind of coasting through school and doing pretty good on exams without trying hard and always being referred to as being smart without trying that hard, I wonder if what that actually taught me is that I don't need to work that hard to do okay, and if I'm willing to settle for okay, then I'll never have to work that hard. But recently, hearing that Kobe Bryant clip, seeing people do really well that I don't think are that great, it occurred to me that I shouldn't be willing to settle for okay. I'm doing pretty okay. But what if I could have been doing great? What if at this age? what if at 37 I could have had 10 years of absolutely crushing and getting everything I want out of life, never being in debt, never looking at my tax bill and worrying that I'm going to struggle to pay it because I not because I earned too much money, but because I didn't save any of it? What if I didn't have to worry that you know about about any of that stuff? What if I just could have been doing so much better? So I figured what I need to do is just really double my efforts try way harder put the kind of effort in that my friend puts in to his business into my business and see where that gets me because truth be told i haven't worked that hard so i've set out a bunch of promises to myself and i'm going to try and deliver on them and this ship has been the perfect example of that at first there's another act joining the ship tomorrow in Madeira, and they're also performing tomorrow night I've been on the ship now since yesterday so at the point that they join I'll have been on for two days but I'm not performing for another two days after that which is frustrating, part of me thinks well why did they fly me out on the 7th, if they're not going to ask me to perform until the 11th when another act is flying out on the 9th, and they're performing on the 9th, and then We're both leaving together on the 12th. I could have had two extra days at home. That would no doubt have made me a lot happier. However, Sarah pointed it out to me perfectly. She said, if you'd stayed at home, what would you have done? You'd have had two extra days of eating takeaway. You'd have had two extra days of not doing any work. You'd have had two extra days of not getting on with running or beating your goals or doing anything productive. The fact that you're on the ship will be the single thing that leads you to working harder. And she's been absolutely right. Today I did run. Today I ran 3.1 miles, which is five kilometers. I also walked, I'm gonna sit back down on the floor because my neck is hurting leaning down to the phone. Um, yeah, I ran five kilometers in 33 minutes and 50 seconds. I walked five miles, which I think is 8 kilometers. I'm not sure But I, I did a bunch anyway I've also fasted today I ate yesterday And I ate the first day of the ship on purpose Because I ate on the plane for a start So that was always going to happen <laughs> because plane rides are boring. I did fall asleep for quite a lot of it. I woke up at one point because I was leaning my head against the seat of the person sitting in front of me, and they tilted their seat back, which on a short-haul flight, four hours and ten minutes, or four hours and thirty minutes, I think is a bit of a no-no, but they they lent their seat back. This is how short-haul these flights are. There are no TV screens. There's no entertainment system on this flight, because it's not a long-haul flight. So... There's a little flap, though, for you to lean your phone into. And if you put your phone in that, you can watch TV shows or whatever on your phone if you've got stuff downloaded, which most people do now, don't they? They put Netflix and stuff on their phone. They download a few things. I'd put my phone in that. I'd let my head on the seat of the woman in front. I was fast asleep when she suddenly tilted a seat forward, which made my head drop, and I smashed my nose off the edge of my phone, and it gave me a sore nose and a little bit of a nosebleed. Think of that I was basically asleep And I essentially got uppercutted But anyway, moving on So I flew out early And I ate on the plane Which meant that I thought Well I might as well eat once I get on the ship This is not going to be a fasting day Then I found out I wasn't on until the 11th So I realised on the 7th if I eat I could fast the 8th and the 9th Do the good old 2 day double fast Then eat on the 10th uh but be quite healthy and then fast on the 11th which is show day and i usually don't eat before the show anyway and then if i make it after the show i won't then pick out after the midnight buffet i'll just pack and go to bed and then on sunday i'll eat then when i'm flying home because i'm going to eat on the plane always and then i'll eat on the ship as well then monday i will fast Tuesday, Sarah and I have got Valentine's meal. The cheese booked for us. I absolutely can't wait. And then Wednesday, Thursday, I'll fast. And then on Thursday, I'm going over to Blackpool to see friends at the uh, magic convention. Friday, I will eat. Saturday, I've got this comedians' golf society event, which I have to eat because um, I'm d- I'm there and I'm doing the cabaret and stuff. And then Sunday. I'll fast and then I'll get back into the back into the traditional rhythm. That's the plan. Anyway, so at the minute I've fasted today and I've made it to the end of the night. I'm in the cabin. I'm not leaving the cabin again. All I have in the cabin is water. So I'll have made it day one fasting. I basically can't lose now. Unless I freak out after this podcast recording, I get dressed and I go up to the midnight buffet, which I can't see myself doing, um, I'm going to have made it. To be fair, the food on here is all right, but it's certainly not. Like, the food in the restaurants is brilliant, but I don't go to any of those because I'm very casual. So I just bring casual clothes, jeans and hoodies and t-shirts. And you're supposed to dress up a little bit to go to the restaurants. It's kind of smart casual, emphasis on the smart. Whereas in the buffet restaurant, the um, it's called the Marketplace World Buffet. In that restaurant, you can go really casual, shorts, t-shirts, whatever. So I only ever eat in there. And the food is generally roughly the same. You get a lot of like stroganoff's, chilies, curries, rice, chips, burgers burgers kind of um nothing approaching fine dining very casual food there's always like cheese boards and crackers there's always a mix of desserts i had some pistachio chocolate cake yesterday with their custard was pretty nice but it's not worth breaking your diet over and getting dressed and leaving the cabin late at night actually the midnight buffet is usually one of my favorite things the cheese sticks the um Deep-fried halloumi cheese, they're pretty up there as far as great things go. But um, I'm not fussed, so I'm going to fast today and fast tomorrow. Tomorrow we're in Madeira. Mm. Madeira is usually famous for steak on a stone. You go to restaurants and there will be... You get given a platter of uncooked steaks, very thin minute steaks, and you also get this insanely hot stone that you cook the steak on yourself. And uh, it's a nice experience. If you're in Madeira, it's absolutely worth doing. It's it's very much the Madeira thing, uh, and especially in Funchal, which is where we're going. What I'm looking forward to tomorrow is running in Madeira, because I've never run there before, and... I ran today in La Gomera and I've run there before but I've started a new highlight on my um, Instagram because I'm going to post my runs, the map and then my stats wherever I run and I've started a new highlight which I've called 5km world and I'm just going to save all the places in the world that I run 5km. Whenever I run somewhere new I'll add it to that. So I haven't even done one at home yet, but I have obviously run five kilometers at home a bunch of times, but I'm gonna save. Whenever I run in a new town or a new uh, city or a new country or on a new continent or whatever, I'm gonna share that run. I wish I'd started it last week when I was in America. Unfortunately, I didn't run in America. I walked quite a bit, but I never went for a run. I never felt motivated to run in America for whatever reason. I think it's because I was eating too many Reese's Pieces (laughs) <laughs> but never mind so I'll start that now and whenever I run in a new place I'm going to put that on the, put that on the thing 5km world and add that to my highlights so I've only got one on at the minute and it's San Sebastian La Gomera where I went before and I did run but I didn't save it on Instagram I don't mind that little town it's got some good little shops it has a spa which we have in England uh, spa is in S-P-A-R the shop, the convenience store they don't sell duck eggs, though, or white eggs. huevos blancos, as they say in Spanish. ¿Tienes huevos blancos? Do you have white eggs? They did not. Um, but they have nice little restaurants and bars and things. It's a cute little town. Some, it's very hilly, and that's kind of very scenic, it's nice I saw an interesting guy last time I was here you'll probably see this picture on my Instagram or something tomorrow I saw an interesting guy and I took a picture of him as he was walking past these three doors and I got a great photograph of him I don't know how to describe him really sort of like um, a bit Harry (laughs) Krishna-ish Krishna-ish? how I would imagine a Harry Krishna would dress and I've seen plenty of those in Sweden but um, he was wearing kind of baggy pants and a sort of, I don't know if the clothing is in some way um, religious. If it if it is, it would be Hare Krishna or Buddhist or something like that. And he was wearing this kind of little hat that almost looked embroidered, like maybe um, maybe cross-stitched or whatever. Not cross-stitched. What's the other thing that's like that? Sarah did it for a bit, um, where you basically knit, but a certain type of knitting, I don't know. Anyway, a hat like that, and um, like, like the kind of hat you might wear in a Turkish bath almost, and uh, flowing sort of robes. He's very interesting, and I took his picture last time I was here, as he walked past these three doors, and I saw him again today. Seven or eight weeks later, I see the same guy just bobbing around town. I guess that's what he does, he just hangs around town. I took his photograph again, I got a different picture of him today. So I'm gonna post those two next to each other on my Instagram tomorrow. Cause, uh, it's interesting and if I come back in a year or in six months or if I ever come back to Lagomera San Sebastian then I will take his picture again I'll try could be quite interesting what if I photograph this guy once a year for the next 20 years that'd be good wouldn't it who knows but anyway so i took his picture again and i don't mind this little place it's been years since i last went to madeira last time i was in madeira i was on fred olsen and i was alongside some other acts uh taffy spencer a magician was working another fred olsen ship and i was there with them uh, with him phil melbourne a comedian i think was there um i don't remember who else but there were certainly some other acts and i went to a steak on a stone restaurant with them And i was on fred olsen so that'd be interesting to go back i don't know what the run's going to be like what i'm going to do is walk first because i walk for an hour to warm up like as if i'm walking joshua to school so i guess i think we're in port quite quite a long time tomorrow so my plan is to walk um away from town in the longest the wherever i got off the ship the longest straight road i can see please god don't let it be tender boats but the longest straight road i can see i'm going to walk that and hopefully get close to two or three miles and then run back. And then I'll get on the ship, I'll get changed, I'll put normal clothes on, not running stuff and then i'll walk i'll go off the ship again i have a good walk around town and explore and see what's going on i'll probably drink a fanta because fanta in spain is the best spanish fanta spanish fanta is like mexican coca-cola if you've ever had mexican if you've ever had coca-cola in south america or mexico it's phenomenal and if you've ever had fanta in spain it's phenomenal it's loads better than anywhere else you get it so i think coca-cola is better in mexico because they put different sugars and sweeteners in there that are banned in america and other places and in spain i assume the fanta is better because oranges grow in spain so maybe the quality of orange is better in in spanish fanta either way it is better though so uh, i'll have that tomorrow as well but no food ideally will be the goal and um we'll see how we get on so that's tomorrow's plan i just was thinking actually when i was in america talking about buying things in local shops my friend george who works for vanishing ink had a bit of a cold a bit of a flu in america I told him I was going to take a long walk and go to a big convenience store called Kroger because I wanted to buy duck eggs, white eggs. Actually, in America, you don't need to buy duck eggs because predominantly eggs are white in America, whereas in Europe and uh, England, most of our eggs are brown. But in America, the white egg is very common. So I went to buy some eggs so that I could do silk to egg. And if you don't know that it's a trick that is on my YouTube channel. Just search Mark James teaches a trick or teaching a trick. You'll find a video of me doing the trick that I need eggs for. And that's why I need eggs on the ship. Anyway, so I told him I was walking to that shop and he asked me if I could get him some lem sip. Now lem sip is apparently only a thing in europe and the uk they don't have it in america they have something else but in case you don't know what it is it's basically a soluble medication so it's a powder in a small sachet and it would taste like honey or lemon or something like that or blackcurrant. but it has medication in it medication that helps with colds and coughs and sore throats and flus paracetamol um ibuprofen, whatever else helps with coughs and colds. It's in this soluble medication. So you boil the kettle as if you're making hot tea, you pour this powder in there and you have a honey or lemon or blackcurrant flavored drink that also has medication in it and makes you feel better. It's not that common in America, because Americans I've told the story to didn't know what I meant. But I did find some in this Kroger, and I went to buy it at the checkout, but I wasn't able. When I scanned it, it flagged up an age restriction, which I thought, well, fair enough. The woman came over to me and she said, "'Do you have state ID?' And I said, "'I'm sorry, I don't have state ID.'" Um, But I do have a passport and a driving license. She said, oh, to buy this, it's Kroger's policy. It's not American policy or law. It's Kroger's policy that to buy this medication, you must have state ID. And I said to her, listen to my voice. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen Harry Potter or Downton Abbey or, you know, Mr. Selfridge or any of those programs. But you can probably tell. I'm not from Ohio. And she said, no. And I said, I'm from Michigan. (laughs) And she didn't laugh. And she said, do you have Michigan State ID? And I said, no, I'm not from Michigan. Obviously, I'm from England. Listen to me. I do, however, have a British passport and a British driving license which show my age and I'm also clearly not 15 I'm 37 years old so I understand the requirement to ask for ID but look I have a passport which is an internationally recognized document it was good enough to get me into this country she was like I'm sorry it is Kroger's policy that you must have a state ID and I said so What happens if you get sick and you're not American? And then I realized, well, of course, that's the problem, isn't it? If you get sick in America and you're not American, a lot of things happen. So I wasn't able to buy it, however, I did go to a different store like a family dollar, actually no I didn't, I went to United Dairy Farmer, United Dairy Farmers where I was buying the Reese's uh, bars from and I was able to buy a non soluble form of medication which doesn't make you feel as good, drinking the hot drink is a huge part of what makes you feel better but I couldn't get that so instead I got um, some tablets and I gave them to George and he was thrilled. So, never mind, but couldn't buy LEMSIP in the USA. And when I got back from the USA, I felt pretty good. But what I did have to do was go, why did I have to go to the post office? There's some reason I had to go to the post office. Oh yeah, to change money. I wanted to change dollars, because obviously I sold products in the USA, sold Penguin Live lectures, and I sold them for dollars. Mm. So I had... I needed to change back to pounds when I got back to the UK and I decided that to be jet, jet lag what I needed to do was stay awake so I got home at like 7.30am I immediately got changed, showered everything put fresh clothes on and took Joshua to school and Joshua's school the, the main road that leads off it is right next to a post office um, the post office in the UK is a good place to change currency so I parked outside I went in I got the money changed, I got pounds back for my dollars And I went and sat in the car And I thought I'll just um, Check Facebook or TikTok or whatever for five minutes then I'll drive home And I immediately fell asleep And I woke up in the car A good two hours later (laughs) Which wasn't the best ever Sitting here on the floor I'm starting to feel a little clammy A little sweaty I wonder if I'm starting to feel the... um, The benefits of seasickness, not the benefits of seasickness. I wonder if I need to lie straight on instead. I'm going to pause the podcast for a second and change my angle. Because sitting where I'm sitting is not doing me any favours. Back in a sec. Hello again. (laughs) Now, what for you has only been maybe about three and a half seconds has in fact for me been 11 hours. I know I said back in a sec. The last sentence I said was back in a sec. Because I just listened to it. That was 11 hours ago. What happened was, I was sitting on the ground. I started to feel myself fading. I don't know if it was a bit of uh, wooziness from the sea, which I don't generally get seasick, or tiredness or whatever, but I just felt a little bit clammy, a little bit of a sweaty forehead, and just felt a bit sort of tired and like I was slurring a bit. And I thought, I think I'm just goosed. So I stopped recording for a second and I thought, I'll just have a few minutes. I'll lie down on another angle. Because i was sitting sideways on which means i was kind of moving uh opposite to the rocking because the ship rocks contrary to the belief that a ship rocks up and down you know forwards and backwards as you see them on um on cartoons <laughs> typically they they more sort of sway side to side so i was on a side to side motion whereas if i laid on the actual bed then I was on a forwards and back motion and that's much more comforting and I laid there for a couple of minutes and then I woke up two hours later with my pyjamas still on and I thought, ah, maybe I should just go to sleep. So I took my pyjamas off, got under the covers and immediately went to sleep and then I woke up this morning at about eight o'clock. I've since spoken to Joshua on the phone on his walk to school, I've FaceTimed with Sarah, she's off today and was in bed, I've uh, texted them both, I've spoken to my friend John on the phone, I've done a bit of googling about what's out in Madeira, I've just generally, you know, done a few different things, and now I'm properly awake again, I'm sitting back on the floor, sideways onto the bed, but the ship isn't moving, and I'm finishing this podcast, woof, hey baby! (laughs) So, where was I? I don't remember what I was last talking about, really. Maybe I was talking about something to do with America. But let's get into when I got home. So, Saturday, basically when I'd been driving home from a gig, I did a gig in Bristol on Friday night for my friend James. James has booked me for loads of stuff, I've mentioned this before. And I was doing, they've just taken over the contract for the food and beverage and entertainment at the Town Hall in Chipping, Sodbury. So he asked me if I would do the cabaret show, and of course, I said yes, so I drove down there. I did the show and it 's always fun performing down there because firstly, I know nearly everyone involved, like all of james 's friends that he always uses for stuff. I know all of them, and i 've been friends with them all for like ten years now, so it always feels like going back to sort of some friend slash family in a way, and it 's really nice. And James always looks after me, he never asks me for mates rates or anything, always pays really well and gets me to do good gigs and, you know, raves about me to people and puts his best foot forward with regards to promoting me and stuff and I really appreciate that. So he's a friend, but he's a friend who treats me very professionally, he never asks for favours, which I appreciate as well. And so, um, I love doing that gig and it was a decent gig, it went really well, everyone was pleased, I was happy with it, um, all was good. Then I was driving home and I stopped at some services to grab a drink. And while I was sitting there having my drink, I looked at my phone and it said there was an article that was like, oh, don't forget, tomorrow is uh, the Birmingham Magic Car Boot sale. Now, it's not actually a car boot sale for people who don't know what a car boot sale is, who are not from England. Essentially, people drive to a field. They pay £10 or whatever to park their car car up in this field and then sell stuff from what is essentially, you know, the kind of table that you would do wallpaper pasting on. I'm sure that's international. A fold-out table that you would paste wallpaper on. They set those up. Typically, and they sell stuff off them and out of the trunk of their car. It's called a car boot sale. This was like that, but it was inside of a venue. But it's called a magic car boot sale because effectively it's people selling off used magic. And um I saw it saying, don't forget, it's tomorrow. So early that morning, Saturday, I got up and I got Joshua up, and the two of us set off. Sarah was at work and we set off down towards it. And as I was driving there, my friend Chris rang me to talk about some watches that he was interested in. And I said to him, I'll talk to you about this later today, because I'll see you presumably at this Magic Car boot sale. It's only 10 minutes from where you live. And he said, well, I might see you tomorrow when it's actually on. (laughs) It turned out, what had happened was, the night before when I'd looked, I'd looked on this website called Magic Week, magicweek.co.uk, and they basically post up loads of news and stuff about Magic, and I'd looked on it, and... It goes live on the Friday night at midnight, but it's actually posted for Saturday. It's always dated Saturday and whatever the date is, but I've read it on the Friday night because I'm a tit when I read Don't Forget Tomorrow is the Magic Car boot Sale. My brain said, oh, it's Friday. Tomorrow is Saturday. This is on on a Saturday when actually I shouldn't have read that until Saturday. Or at least I should have realised that it was posted for Saturday. So the magic carbuto was only ever on on Sunday, but I'd made that mistake. At this point, I'm 40 minutes away from it. We're an hour into the drive. So Joshua and I, we turn around in the car and we end up having a great day out. We went to Standish where my friend Andy owns a patisserie, uh, at Harwood's Patisserie it's called. And we bought some chocolate and desserts and stuff from there. We went into Wigan and we got these amazing oh, these pies. Oh my God, these pies. We went to this pie shop in Wigan. If you don't know much about the UK, Wigan is famous for pies. The Wigan pie. We've googled the best pie in Wigan. And this place came up called Baldy's. Baldi's pies. The chef who owns it, unsurprisingly, has a bald head. It's called Baldy's pies. So um, we went there and... I I ordered three pies but they come in a little tray each with uh, mashed potato and gravy and stuff and you cook them yourself at home. They're part baked so you do the rest of the cooking at home and um, I ordered these three pies and then I said how much is that mate? And he said (laughs) £36. These pies are 12 quid each. Now to be fair they are amazing but They're 12 quid each. They're not fucking about when it comes to pricing these pies. Let's just say that. So um, I got the pies and I went home. And all was good. We ate them. And Sarah was shocked they were 36 quid. But then she ate them and she was like, they were pretty good. And then the next day she went, those pies (laughs) were... (laughs) <laughs> good, weren't they? She brought them up again. That I think we mentioned it again another day. So we're definitely going to have those pies again because they were spectacular. So a good little excuse to go to Wigan, which was decent, actually. I don't know that I've ever been to Wigan before, apart from to go to a football match with Joshua at the DW Stadium. We've been to see Preston play there twice. So um, going into actual Wigan town was pretty decent. I didn't mind it at all. Then Sunday we got up again, and for the second time, We set off to this magic invention thing. And that was pretty good. I liked it. I bought a book. I bought the Genius of Robert Harbin book. Robert Harbin invented the uh, zigzag illusion. You'll all know this. It's the trick where somebody gets into a stand-up box and then two blades are pushed through. And then the middle section of that box is pushed out to the side it's called the zigzag and robert hartman invented it as well as loads of other stuff as well he was like a genius origami guy and all of this other stuff he's a very famous magician so i bought a book about him which was terrific and then we went home and we had um did we have takeaway i think we did i think we had takeaway because i wanted pizza from this place uh the moor moorbrook near us that i've mentioned before it is amazing pizzas but they weren't doing delivery we were too late We tried again on the Monday to get pizza from them and failed again. We actually went in, and Monday's the only day they don't do pizza. So, And we went in there to sit down and eat before I went away Tuesday. So Monday I headed into town and uh, went to get a haircut, and I did get a haircut. But this time it was a normal walk into the barber's, pay the usual amount of money haircut. Not as you heard a couple of weeks ago, where I called a friend and managed to arrange a late-night haircut where the barber opened for me at half-eight at night just to cut my hair to do me a favour before I went to America. So I managed to get another haircut. But then something spectacular happened. I've always wanted... Now, you all know that I'm obsessed with watches, and anybody who follows my Instagram will know this too. And I've been going on for a little while about how much I like the Tudor Black Bay uh, 58 the heritage fifty eight now Tudor is a watch company, a kind of a second arm to Rolex they 're actually older than Rolex and a lot, and they 're owned by Rolex too, and a lot of the time Rolex will try new ideas out through the Tudor brand because Rolex is a bit. It's a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to implementing new stuff they stay very classic and they stick with what they know and they don't mess about with the brand whereas tudor are attainable you can walk into a store and buy a tudor if you've got the money you can't do that with rolex they won't just sell you a watch Don't ask me about that right now because it's very complicated. But Tudor, you can just buy one. The Tudor Black Bay 58 is a fantastic watch. It's got a very, very old history. It's a beautiful watch. It has an in-house movement in it. It's self-winding. So all you've got to do is wear it and it never runs out. It's got a 70-hour power reserve. So obviously, you've got to wear it every third day. Otherwise, it'll stop. But um, it's a great, great watch. It's got a beautiful dial. It's got a... uh, bezel that you can twist it's a dive watch so it has a twisting bezel which you use for timing your oxygen and stuff it doesn't have crown guards on the bit that you use to change the time which i think makes it look very classy Um, it's got something sarah told me about yesterday the deploy the the clasp the way the clasp works it has a normal flip open clasp but when it's closed it also has like a little extra clasp that locks over the top of it so it's a double locking clasp which obviously makes sure that it doesn't accidentally come off you when you're diving or whatever but what they've put on it are these little ceramic pearls. These two little ceramic ball bearings, essentially, on the sides of the clasp that don't wear out. So it means that you're not worried about wear and tear when you're undoing the clasp all the time. It's really, really nice. It's very classy design. I love the bracelet on it. The bracelet is one of the nicest bracelets on um, steel watches. And... It's a beautiful, beautiful watch. They typically retail for just over £3,000, 3200 and something pounds for the 39mm model. And that explains why I haven't bought one up until now. Because they're expensive. And obviously, the last time I spent big money on a watch, the Omega watch that I bought, the Speedmaster, uh, first Omega in space edition, which you can't get anymore. When I bought that, it was £3,700. They are now over six and a half, seven thousand pounds for a similar model, but you can't get the one I've got anymore. So it was turned out to be a good investment because if I was to sell it, I'd make well over double my money. I don't want to sell it, but if I did sell it, I'd make well over double my money. The, um... Tudor, however, I I won't go into the exact details because it involves Sarah's work, but let's just say Sarah gets a little bit of a discount on watches uh, on certain brands. She doesn't really get discount on Rolex or anything, but of course there is a bit of a discount when you work for a watch brand, and that was handy. But also what happened was somebody part-exchanged this watch. They'd owned it for less than a year. You get five years warranty. They'd owned it for less than a year. and and it's in perfect condition, and it's also been repolished and um, had a full service. So it's basically in brand new condition, but because it was a part X, it was back up for sale, and there was quite a significant discount on the resale price. And I heard about it the day that it came in, and I said to Sarah straight away, we have to have that watch. So they put it to one side for us, and then I went into Sarah's work while she was at work. We took a look at it, Between the bit of discount that Sarah got and the Part X price, let's just just say it was very, very reasonable. And so I was able to get a Tudor Black Bay 58 model, 39mm, for a very, very, very achievable price. Uh, We got it on finance too, so I just put down a good deposit. And it's the kind of money that you don't really even notice coming out of the bank. It's really, really good, Uh, even over not that long of a time. So... I bought a Tudor Black Bay watch, and I'm thrilled with it. Another watch to add to the collection. I'm wearing it on this trip. It's the first time I've obviously been able to wear it anywhere. I've worn it every day. During the day, I'm wearing the Garmin watch because I've been running, or at least I ran yesterday. But otherwise, I'm wearing the Tudor full-time, and every single time I look at it, I spot something new that I didn't know about it before, and it makes me enjoy it even more. So I really, really just I love it. I love it so much. It's a fantastic watch. So that's a few more things ticked off the list. Monday, failing to get pizza. Saturday and Sunday with Joshua. New watch. I think I talked about running a bit yesterday, but I don't exactly remember. But I, I did. I talked about five-kilometer world, didn't I, and how I'm putting that on uh, Instagram and how I spotted the same guy and I'm taking his photograph. Good. Talked about that. Um, packing to go away and haircut. Monday, felt like get pizza. Just mentioned that. Okay, good. So now we're up to Tuesday when I actually come on this cruise. Um... And what I've done on the cruise, flights are always early, aren't they? Every time I've got to fly, god damn, it's always early. So I had to get up at 5 o'clock on Tuesday morning and get to the airport. And I did. I booked my parking the night before. cost me um, £77. I could have paid £105. That was to park in the mid-stay at the terminal I was flying from. But then I noticed in a different terminal they had parking for £77. And I thought, well... I'd quite like to save that money. I mean, it was £108. So I saved 30, £108 in the other one, 77 in this, that's right. So I saved £31. And what it meant was that I had to walk from one terminal to the other. The walk is like, it says it's 15 minutes if you use the travelling walkways. And I thought, you know what? 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back for the sake of uh, £31. I'll take it. It's a pound a minute. <coughs> oh, it need to sneeze. <coughs> Gesundheit. Um as we've just bought a ball of watch and all that sort of stuff, I thought for thirty minutes' walk i 'll save thirty one pounds all day long, plus the walk won 't do me any harm. However, one of the comments I got last time I was on this ship now, my act is always my act. I always do the same stuff. I do billiard ball manipulation, I do um chop cup that 's the cup and ball trick. I do you know a trick where a handkerchief turns into an egg and all that sort of stuff. My act is best viewed for rooms of like three to five hundred people. I mean, up to five hundred people, I think. The theater on the ship is quite big, but not so big that that makes my act a problem. However, quite a lot of passengers on cruise ships in general are very old. That's just the way the game is. Eyesight is perhaps not what it once was. So one of the comments I got from my feedback, I smashed the scores, by the way. I got like a nine out of ten, but one of the comments was, it would be great if I had some bigger material. And of course, I do have bigger material. I've got cigar box juggling. I've got the multiply and bottle trick. I've got loads of stuff that plays way bigger. I just didn't do it the last time I was on the ship because you get 20 kilograms, luggage allowance. And when you've got to bring your suit, your clothes that you're going to wear during the week, all of your props, 20 kilograms is not a huge amount. Toiletries, all that sort of stuff. So I fed that back and said, I would love to bring bigger stuff, but 20 kilograms is just not enough to do that. Um, So they gave me 40. Bless them. They gave me two suitcases. So I've brought two suitcases on this trip in order to facilitate more stuff. But that's where it becomes a problem when you've got to walk 15 minutes with walkways at the airport in the morning at six o'clock in the morning. When you've got two suitcases and a bag on your back with your hand luggage stuff. However, then I get to the first walkway and it isn't running. It's not turned on. Then the second one isn't, the third one. And I basically walked the entire what turned out to be over 20 minutes walk because not a single one of the long travelator things was turned on. Every single one of them was turned off. So I had to walk the entire distance with no assistance at all. And it's Terminal 3 I'm parked at, but I'm flying from Terminal 2. You'd think that that would be next, but it isn't. Terminal 1's in the middle. So you've got to go to Terminal 3 via Terminal 1 to get to Terminal 2. Total ball ache. Uh, But I got there and I made it to the bag drop. I dropped the bags off had a nice little chat with the guy check in and I hadn't checked in. One thing I've noticed is that, tell me if you know the reason for this but, aside from perhaps the fact that they oversell flights and maybe if you don't check in there's a danger you'll lose your place but then again, I always turn up brutally early to flights. I'm always way earlier than the amount of time it says you've got to get there. But I normally check in online the day before the flight When you're requested to Especially for America Because there's usually loads of bullshit you've got to go through But with European flights I'll normally check in However When I'm flying Via Via when i'm flying to a cruise i've never booked the flight myself i've been given the flight details but i don't have the email address or any of the details to check in online so i can't check in the flight literally checking in the flight when it's been booked for you by a third party for a cruise or whatever is impossible so every time i turn up for the flight i'm not checked in so i go up to the check-in desk it's called the check-in desk right that's what it's meant for Have you checked in online? No. Okay, great. They check you in. They do the bag drop for you. Takes about two minutes. It's a complete piece of piss. You know that it's been done correctly. You know that your bags are on where they're supposed to be. Everything is great. You don't have to worry about the stupid peel off label you have to put on your suitcase and putting it on the right place. You don't have to do any of that stuff. If you've checked in online, then you have to go to the bag drop area instead because you've already checked in. So then you go to the bag drop machine, you have to weigh the case, you have to put all the details in, scan your passport, type in loads of bullshit on the screen, essentially do the job of checking in again. Then you get the label printed out if the label machine is working properly. Then you have to attach it to your bag yourself and working out how to do that is always stressful because you've got to peel off the right end and stick it in the right place and yada, yada, yada. All I'm saying is checking in online is bullshit. Unless there is a really good reason that you've got to do it or should do it, I honestly, from now on, I'm not going to bother checking in online because on the days when I can't check myself in online, it's never made a single difference. It's always easier and better when I haven't checked in online first because you don't have to do the bag drop yourself. The bag drop is part of the check-in process at a desk when you've checked in online, you have to go to the machine. It's ridiculous. So, fuck checking in online. I'm not doing it anymore. Unless it's America. Because I always get stressed about flying to America. And I want to make sure that everything's done. But in future for European flights, no. I'm not doing it. I'm just turning up to the airport and letting things go how they go. That's all I've got to say about that. (laughs) The only other thing I've got to talk to you about, and we're just coming up on an hour actually, we might have already tipped an hour, hard to tell when it's two separate recordings, is that, uh, hang on, I'm just leaning forward for my notebook, last night I sat in the restaurant, I sat outside for a bit, but I also sat in the restaurant, and I really started working on what my next show is going to be. I met, I think I've mentioned this already, but I met this artist at the magic convention who does those old-school posters, um, like Keller and Thurston and Houdini, and well, not Houdini, really, the ones I've seen, the Great Carter, those kind of old-fashioned magic posters. And I really want to get... Um, a poster like that for my next show It's not for this year I'm already doing Instant Magic 2.0 for this year But uh, I'm going to start working in some of the material For that show this year And then I'll rebrand the show I think it's going to be called I quite like when shows are called like The Greatest Show in the Universe Or The Wonder Show Or something like that I'm thinking about maybe just calling this show Wonder Or Wonders Or something like that Because it'll look great in that text And big on a poster um, And great for merch and stuff like that as well I've kind of written a, a pre-set list at the moment of what I think it will look like. And it has some kind of classic feeling, but very twisted magic in it. I'm going to put cigar boxes in it. I'm not going to do fire eating. I think I'm going to switch from the cup and ball trick to the cups and balls trick because I've got loads of nice touches on that and ways to do it differently that I've been working on for years. Uh, if I'm going to use that table, I'll probably put the multiplying bottles in to use that table. Um... I think I'm going to bring back something I did years ago, which was the Torn and Restored Playbill that I got from John Lovick's book, but I'll get it remade with this new show logo in. I think it'll look really good. Um, And that's a nice giveaway as well to give to whoever comes up on stage with me. And I'm going to leave a space in it that I can staple the Polaroid that I take because I'm going to keep the Polaroid thing, even though the show won't be called Instant Magic. It's been such a nice giveaway to people I get on stage that I'm going to keep in the thing of giving away Polaroids. Um, And yeah, I've just been really working on that Mainly I've been writing down stuff to do with the aesthetics of it And weird twists and things that I can do And stuff to do with... I realise that next year it will be 2024 2024 and so we'll be heading to the mid of the, of the 20s. And it will be 100 years ago, of course, since the mid-1920s, which is when vaudeville really was in its absolute highest swing, but right before talking pictures became a thing, before movies became a thing in 1926 with the jazz singer. So I feel like what I'll have there is two years to kind of celebrate exactly 100 years since the, the boom, the biggest period of vaudeville. And this show would fit perfectly into that bracket. So that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be a big push towards that, and I'm going to really go for it. I'm going to go for merchandise. I always get mugs made that I never sell, and I end up just giving them away. But I'm going to get mugs. I'm going to really merch the show. I'm going to get tea towels, which I've been saying for years I'll do. I'm going to get a Teach Yourself Magic DVD, but then I'm going to make myself and not just use the typical one with the fake hands-on that I used for years. I'm going to actually make it myself. I'm going to sell other stuff. I'm going to have two sets of merch adult set of merch and kids set of merch but based on what i've seen recently i've been given two good value so i'm going to sell a spinning plate and light up thumb tips and i'm going to sell them for 10 pounds and i'm going to do a tea towel and a mug and i think i'm going to sell those for 10 pounds as well as a two set so you get a mug and a tea towel or you get um a spinning plate and a light-up thumbtip for £10 as well. So I'm going to do merch on that. Uh, I'm going to stand on a little mini carpet that I've always wanted to do and have like an aesthetic with that. I've got this thing with a phone ringing. I've just got loads of ideas and I really, really sat and worked on it last night and I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be my best thing my best work so far and I'm giving myself plenty of lead-up time for it some of the ideas that I want to do it are in the show right now in my current show some of them are not but they're in and around they're definitely workable so this is it this year's diary is already booked I can't change it I can't do the Edinburgh Festival or any of that stuff but next year is the year that I'm going to work stuff in this year. I'm going to get the most prepared I've ever been. And I'm going to really push to make this show a reality. I'm going to take more risks. I'm going to try and get booked on more magic events. I'm going to lecture for magicians. I'm going to be more present within the magic community. Part of the reason that I went to that tabletop car boot sale thing was just for that reason. Just be more present. People who know me and people who've seen my work, like Andy Gladwin and Josh Jay, will book me on a convention or something. And that's great because it's a huge burst of like, oh, this guy exists. And then I just completely drop off the map for magicians in between. I don't lecture. I don't release material. Whereas if I did all of those things more consistently, I think I could do better. So that's kind of the business plan right now. I've also written a list of five things that I want to release for magicians. A book is, of course, one of them. Notes on stagecraft is another one of them. Uh, I have this tabletop thing that I'm working on at the moment that I think will be a good utility item for magicians. And um a few of my routines. So kind of a pro line of products that I want to put out that are things that I work and use, and I think will be pretty good. So that's the plan going forward for 2023 and into 2024. I've been working hard on the ship. As with all things, it just starts with personal, um, it starts with personal kind of confidence, being overweight again, having slipped and let things fall back is just the biggest block and border to nearly everything because it makes me basically not want to be seen by uh, anyone but I'm not so far gone that I can't get it back fairly quickly so running yesterday I'm going to go out and run today that's next job after I finish this podcast uh, fasting again today i going to eat tomorrow and just um, going to work hard this is the year Everything's going to go well for us. Joshua starts secondary school this year. Sarah finishes her immunotherapy this year. We're going to book a great holiday. I've been given loads of great American opportunities. I've got an America's Got Talent audition coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm just going to work on really getting into a good spot. And when I get there, we're going to go forward. So that's where we're at. Thanks everyone again for listening. That's going to be the end of this week's pod. I'm going to aim to record again next week on Wednesday or Monday. Not really sure. need to find the rhythm with that again and work out what's what. Um, but I am going to at least aim to get a podcast out every week. And it's good. It's good motivation for me to to do that. Still don't know what I weigh. But um, I think I'll probably face the scales when I get back if I have a good week. Maybe Maybe the week after this one. Maybe do a week at home as well. And then see where I'm at. Get on the scales and confront the numbers. (laughs) Right. I'm going. Thanks, friends. Speak to you all next week. If you do listen to this podcast and you've never messaged me before, uh, just do that now. Drop me a little message. Someone did that already this week and that was great. So, you know, be, be the next person. Give me a little hello. And if you listen to this podcast all the time... Drop me a hello anyway. Let me know that you listened and that you liked it or whatever and I'll speak to you next week. Bye everyone.